So this morning, I want to look uh, in more detail at the main subject of this retreat, which is sound questioning as it's practiced in Korea as I learned it. And so at one level, as I said yesterday, uh, the practice, one could say, is very simple. Because you sit, you walk, you work, you rest, whatever you do, you try to silently, inwardly, ask the question, what is this? And this is a type of practice which was started, you could say, in China, then went to Korea, then went to Japan. And over time, in each country, it developed in its own way, historically. And so in Korea, they kind of use, like in the other three countries, kind of like what's called Kwan, what's called, you could say, court case. It's kind of like a reference case. And so they have two books where you have about 1,700 of these stories. And then so you have the story, which is a Kwan, Kungan, and then out of the story, you have what you could call the main point, and what's called, in a way, the wadu in Korean. In Chinese, it's wadao. And in uh, Japanese Zen, they talk less about, they use less that term, and just use the term koan. And so basically, in a way, in case of the one we use, this main point that we use with this question, what is this, comes from an encounter, like a lot of those comes from. And they kind of like, in a way, can, they call koan because it's, it was a legal term in ancient China. And so it's kind of like a reference case. It's like something you can refer to as an example of something. And so, the encounter is that you have the sixth patriarch who lives in the southern China, and then you have a, a young man, a young monk, Hui Zhang, who comes to visit him. And so when they encounter each other, then the patriarch say, oh, where do you come from? And we so said, oh, I come from Mount Sun, which is many days away. And then the master say, what is this? And then the young man, Weijang, cannot answer. And then he goes to practice and meditate for seven years. So often, Son, Zen, Chan is presented as a shortcut. But if you look at the story, they generally sit for <laughs> many years before they have a breakthrough. So after seven years, suddenly he has a breakthrough, and so he goes back to the patriarch, and the patriarch say, what is this? And then Huijang answer, to say it is like something is not to the point, but still it can be cultivated. So the whole story, as I told it, 
is the koan, the kungan. And then out of that story, you have the main point, which is the wadu. And wadu actually means before speech, before you say anything, what is this? So it's not really about designing, explaining something. We have to be careful here that the practice we're doing here is not a practice of answering. It's actually a practice of questioning. This is very much, very much to see the difference. So we're not sitting there, you know, in order to get an answer. But we're actually sitting here, walking, etc., cultivating experiencing, questioning. This is really one of the specificity of the practice. Like in a way you could say the specificity of being aware of the breath is calming. The specificity of listening meditation, which will be introduced tomorrow, is opening. The specificity of loving-kindness meditation is friendliness. And so here, the specificity of this practice is really questioning. But questioning without looking for an answer. And that's what, in a way, is a challenge of this practice, because generally, if we ask a question, it's in order to get an answer. In a way, here, we're asking the question in a way to dissolve, in part, the habits we have to comment and define, and in a way to grasp as kind of me and mine. What is this? It's really kind of, kind of nearly like a method to open us to the whole experience without grasping anything in it, without defining anything in it. So we have to be careful that this is not a rigorous scientific analysis. It is not a metaphysical search. It is not a physical question, a philosophical questioning as is, what is the meaning of the universe? This is actually a meditation practice which endeavored to put together, as I mentioned yesterday, anchoring, so that in a way the question, what is this, becomes the anchor. And often it's described as like it's like a kind of a stick, kind of in the ground, to which a goat is attached with a rope, and so the goat can still move about, but it's not going to eat the carrots or the lettuces or go where you don't want the goat to go. So in a way, the what is is as is anchoring. So that you ask, what is this? What is this? And then, of course, you think about something else or whatever it might be that distracts you. And then you remember to come back to what is this? 
And so when you come back to what is this, you come back to the whole experience. And the idea is to come back to the whole experience, you know, in its complexity, to be with it without commenting or defining or sticking to anything within it. And then at the same time, the question, what is this, is not a mantra. It's not sacred words. So you're not sitting there, what is this, what is this, what is this? That's not the idea. But of course, it can be used as a focusing exercise in the same way as a mantra would use or if you recited the loving kindness phrases, you would come back to words. So of course, at times, it might have a little bit this function. But the idea is really not to repeat it like a mantra. The idea is that you ask it as a question. So anyway, what we're trying to do is develop a sensation of questioning in the whole body and mind. And the idea, in a way, this will allow us more flexibility, more creativity, more, I would say, kind of what it, it seems to me in my experience with it, is that it helped me to move from this is like this, this is like that, there is no other solution to what I would call multi-choice. That in any given moment, any given condition, there are many different aspects to anything. And then we can look at things, I would say, in a more complex way. So there is, in a way, more creativity. It's more multi-choice. We're not so fixated, kind of, kind of, kind of stuck in a kind of a certain habitual pattern. So in a way, the idea is to develop that sensation of questioning and which kind of is really more like a felt sense, in a way. So you're kind of tasting the questioning. So when you think of the sentence of the question, what is this? You might think, well, which, which word is the most important? Should I put some emphasis on what is this? Or is, is more important, what is this? Or is maybe the this kind of really the point? What is this? Actually, the main point is a question mark. So what we're trying to be, to develop, is actually being a question mark. This is the most important part of that question is that, what is this? Because in a way, by asking the question, what is this, we dissolve a little bit this affirming, this defining, this commenting, and open up to maybe something we don't know, something we might not have thought about, which in a way will bring more clarity then you can do it again in different ways. 
In Korea, one teacher I went to visit would actually recommend at the beginning to do the question with the breath. So you would, he would recommend you breathe in, and as you breathe out, what is this? Breathe in, as you breathe out, what is this? My teacher, in a way, used to recommend to you, ask the question, what is this? Then you stay with the sensation, and then when the sensation goes, then you bring the questioning again. So then, at times, you might bring it a little more, at times, you might bring it a little less. Then, also personally, as I have been also teaching mindfulness meditation, and I think, you know, you, some of you might be so used to just be aware of the breath, aware of the body, aware of the sound, that in a way we don't ask you to stop doing that, because that will come to you naturally. But maybe more than, if you want, what you can do is introduce it time to time. So you might be aware of the breath, and time to time, within the 30 minutes, two or three or four times, what is this? And then back to the breath. So that you kind of still can do what you used to do, but you can bring just a little bit of that feeling, that sensation of, what is this? Then in terms of the question, having taught it for many years, I am very aware that you have actually four types of people when they try to do this. The first one, they love it. This is fantastic, this is a revelation, this is the best thing since sliced bread. Then you have the second type, and they sit there, what is this, what is that? Why am I asking this stupid question? If that's the way you feel, you don't have to do it. Because you've come already with your own practice, you can just continue with your own practice. Kind of, I am very aware that this is not suitable to the same degree for everybody. I've really learned that. Then you have the type of people where, when they ask a question, because it, it's very much about feeling unknowing, feeling mystery, but also a little bit uncertainty. Can be something which makes us touch a little bit. I would say kind of feel impermanence. As my teacher used to say, your life rests upon a single breath. Can, be can you be awake to that? What is this? And so if you feel a little kind of this feeling of uncertain, questioning, which actually makes you a little anxious, then I would say if you use to mindfulness practice, you do that and just put in the what is this time to time. Don't do it all the time. And then you have the fourth type of people, and there it's similar to if they do uh, the loving-kindness meditation with phrases, is that as soon as you introduce words in your practice, it's like it has a tendency 
to generate thought. Some people have that kind of, as soon as you've contact with word, as you're sitting there, puff, it generates thought. So if that is the case, then don't use word, but really try to kind of like just be aware in this unknowing way. So in a way kind of here, the feeling kind of what I would suggest in terms of image is kind of thinking about us, each of us sitting here, breathing, and then in a way realizing we are the end for ourselves of thousand years of evolution, you know? Us here, behind us, you have like, you know, the Big Bang, if that is so, then you have the Earth, then you have the little thing coming out of the water, then it becomes something else, then it becomes something else. Then over time, human being appear, then over time, here we are. Isn't it amazing? At that level, each of us is a mystery of evolution. So you could just sit there experiencing that through the breath, through listening. Isn't it amazing? Just breathing. Isn't it amazing? Just being. So again, seeing, so this is what this retreat is about, is actually exploring, exploring how can I do this practice? How would it help uh, my Dharma practice, developing wisdom and compassion? Because we have to see, we cultivate, we ask the question, the end point is not that we have the greater sensation of questioning in the universe. The end point, in a way, is that as we ask the question, the grasping dissolves, the self-centeredness dissolves, the obstacle to our wisdom and compassion dissolves. That's what, in a way, why we are cultivating the question. So that's what I wanted to say about that. And then somebody had a question uh, about brightness, because in a way this practice is very much about balancing, equilibrating the two quality of brightness and calmness. This is kind of an image our teacher had a lot. I mean, it took me a little time to, to get it because uh, he kept talking about talc, talki, talki. And I thought he was talking about strawberries. <laughs> but actually, he was talking about chicken. And what is very interesting, because it's the same kind of sudden little kind of, it's talgi for strawberry and it's talki. So it's a little different, but kind of took me some time to realize it's talking about chicken, not strawberries. And actually what is so interesting 
with this example is that you can find that same example in the Sutta. At the time of the Buddha, you have the same example. I think we have to be careful of thinking that Son, Chan, Zen is very different from the early Sutta at the time of the Buddha, the early text, the early discourse. Actually, what I'm realizing studying the text from the early time is nearly every example used in the Son tradition, which you think is original to that tradition, you find it in the Sutta. And for me, that again, that continuity, that lineage from the Buddha to this own practice. So the story that the Buddha used to refer to, and Master Kuzan also, is the fact that when a hen is hatching eggs, she just does not just sit there with the eggs. But actually, the hen is kind of sitting there on the eggs, and with the legs, She's actually with the feet, she's moving the eggs. The one who gets too hot, too close to her, she puts in the bottom. The one who at the bottom who are getting a little cold, she brings to the top. So although she looks immobile, actually she's busy with her little feet, with her little eggs. So they seem to be doing this 2,500 years ago. Uh, a thousand years later in Korea, and they still do it now. I mean, the hens. They move the little eggs about, if nobody takes them, of course. And so what he was saying is that we need to cultivate skillfully. So again, upaya of yesterday. We need to cultivate skillfully the calmness and the brightness. And so sometimes they are in equilibrium and we don't have to do anything. Then sometimes there is a little too much calm and then up we might kind of become too calm, you could say. And all the time you might become too bright. And so in a way, I think this is kind of something to play around again on this retreat, to notice, oh, yes, both are there, I don't need to do anything special. And then to say, oh, I have lost some energy. I'm a little, kind of suddenly it's too much calm. The mind is not very bright. Or sometimes the mind is so bright. And then here you can play a little bit, either with the questioning or using the breath or listening. We find that these three very much complement each other. So I wanted to read two quotes in terms of that. If one remains in deep calm without being aware, it means sinking into dullness. If one remains aware without being calm, it means becoming entangled in one's thoughts. The last one. If one is in a state of being neither aware nor calm, then one is not only entangled in thought, but also submerged by dullness. Time to time we experience that. We cannot then. But not all the time. So it's kind of just pointing out that sometimes the calm can become dull. Sometimes the brightness, oh, 
then kind of become agitation in terms of the soul. And sometimes we kind of just so sleepy and we kind of like, you know, sometimes you sit there and suddenly you wake up and actually you were dreaming sitting up. And you thought, and you think, ah, oh, this must be significant. Not at all. <laughs> you are basically kind of the third state, kind of like dull and then kind of being like somewhere else. And then you wake up and then it passes like all things. Then second quote, clear awareness and deep calm are beneficial. But clear awareness with delusion will not work. So in a way, sometimes you know, sometime we have to be careful. We're sitting there and we become clear. But then it's kind of like we get caught in some, wow, this is it, you know, awakened in the next moment and this and that and that. Very interesting. Kind of like the clarity turns into kind of this proliferation of thought. Deep calm and clear awareness are appropriate, but deep calm with absent-mindedness is not appropriate. So here what he's saying, sometimes we can't be calm, but at the same time it's like we calm, but we opaque. There is a little vagueness. And so what he is saying is that, yes, calm is very beneficial, but we need to have certain brightness within the calm. And then finishes, how can any delusion arise if calm does not let in any distraction and awareness does not leave any room for unskillful thinking? And here, I think what they're pointing out is a, is a balance, is how anchoring and exploring goes together. That in a way, what are we doing? As I pointed out yesterday, when come back to what is this? What is this? What is this? And then what actually happened is that you don't feed the habitual thought, for example. But by coming back to what is this, you're also dissolving the power of habituation. And then you come back to the creative functioning. So in a way, by coming by, by focusing, by anchoring, you create a calm which is spacious. And because the calm is also spacious, then actually the mind is going to be clear and is not going to be lost or going into an ethical train of thought. And then in a way, if the mind is clear, then there will be less of the habitual, kind of like, often that's what I ask myself. Do I need to think about this now? Maybe not. And then in a way, the clarity of seeing, oh, it's not that you judge it, it's not that it's bad, it's just, now, I don't need to do this. Especially if you have already done it a hundred times, 
Possibly you don't need 101 times, 102 times. You've already thought it. Right? Hmm, maybe I don't need to think about this now. And then, what is this? And so you know, we're seeing how the two go together, this anchoring and clarity, this kind of like calmness and brightness. So, are there any questions, or is it relatively clear? Okay, this is a good point. So we sit in meditation, and a little bit of an expectation often we have, I sit there waiting for something special to happen. This is often what happens. We sit there, and then something special happens. And then we have to do something with it. We have to kind of, you know, deepen it. I'm not too, personally, I'm not too much into the deepening of it. What I would say is that if you are sitting there and you experience calmness and brightness, stay with it. Just experience it. Don't do anything with it. Just experience it. Just be with it. Don't do anything commanding depth. No. Just be with it. And it's a bit like a parent with a child. If you hold the child too loose, the child is going to fall. If you hold it too tight, it's going to cry. And so you want just to hold it in a light way. And so when there is that state of calmness and brightness, I would say just be with it. And actually, if you are just with it, it's going to last a little longer. And then at one point, it will go, because the energy is not there anymore. And in terms of insight, I don't think we need purposefully to have insight. But I think, in a way, by practicing, if there is less me, 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 and less agitation in the mind, will be clearer. And then we'll be more insightful, in a way. But also to know that when we have an insight, basically we see something we've never seen before. And so in that moment, even if we, and we should have been aware of it for a long time, up to that moment we never saw it. Now we really, really see it. But that insight again is just going to be an experience which then is going to go. And then you are not going to leave it as you felt it. But it's more like a reminder. Like at time I would experience like really impermanence and not grasping. And then maybe later I would see a dead rat and I would think, not grasping, not grasping, not grasping. And it was not the same experience of kind of really seeing something and having no reactivity whatsoever. And then in actual life, the thing happening. So in a way, the insight might de-amplify the reaction. But it's not going to stop the reaction in the way you 
experience when you had the insight. But we can talk about this also later on more. And then, one final point is the walking. So how to practice when walking. So again, when you walk, you could just continue with the question. And maybe the question being rhythmic with the walking in whatever way works for you. What is this? What is this? Just as we walk, continuing with the walk, with that. Of course, you could just be aware of the sensation of walking, or you could be aware of the sensation of hearing, kind of just hearing as we walk together. So again, we can just continue like having the question all the time, during the walking, during the eating, during working. It can be there all the time. Either as us saying the word time to time, either at that sensation, at that resonance, or kind of, a kind of this kind of questioning felt sense, which you don't have to put into word, but that you can experience. So that you can, again, when you walk, you can experiment with it. So let's do some walking now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.